On this episode of the MCS Mastercast, I, Chris Chase, a.k.a. Chris Chaser on Instagram, a.k.a. That Chris Chase on Twitter, sit down with Brady Shear of Pro Church Tools, ProChurchTools.com, Pro Church Academy, and we talk about the following things, sports, media, and ministry. And if you're able to get through the first 50 minutes of the sports talk about the 49ers of San Francisco and the Toronto Blue Jays, I guarantee you Brady's thoughts on how ministry and media intersect will blow your mind. I guarantee it's going to be something that is going to revolutionize how you think about church and how you think about media and how you think about how uh, the two of them can work together uh, when done in the right way. So sit back, enjoy this. It's my chat with Brady Shearer of Pro Church Tools. It is the MCS Mastercast. Brady Shearer is on the is on the on the podcast today. Brady, so thanks for thankful for you to be here with me today. I'm thrilled to be here, Chris. Thanks for inviting me on. And we we met at a wedding this past summer. We have mutual friends, Kyle and Allison Manazeldyke, who got married this past summer. And we were fortunate enough to sit at the same table. Um, and in just in in just listening into a conversation that you were having with um, a I'm not going to use his name, but a Sportsnet uh, <laughs> a, a Sportsnet new newscaster who uh, does uh, games for the Blue Jays. I won't say anything more. I won't, I won't you know, he, he has enough shine. Um, overheard you talking about going to Arizona uh, for some video shoots and then being able to catch uh, a baseball game. And then out of that, just uh, great conversations came out, which is always awkward. It's always hard to have good conversations at weddings with people that you don't know. They, could, they can either go really well or to the point where you'd never sit at your table in between quiet moments. You get up and you leave and you go somewhere else. Um, but we actually had really, really, really good conversation. Uh, and then out of that, uh, following one another on Twitter and um, interacting on two things, uh, media stuff and sports stuff. Uh, those those have been our, 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 our interactions. And you can always, with, with guys, it's always easy. If you're able to talk about stuff that you like, things always go well. So my first question for you is this, has nothing to do with anything with relation to media or leadership 49ers 49ers that's just the question 49ers question mark 49ers question mark okay so i i have the three teams that i follow are the toronto raptors the toronto blue jays both of which are experiencing somewhat unprecedented success at least in the raptors case yes and the san francisco 49ers so as most canadians i did not grow up following a certain NFL football team because, you know, my parents didn't really care. I was living on the West Coast when I decided during Bible college to start cheering for the San Francisco 49ers. Looking back, it would have been much better to have chosen the Seattle Seahawks. But now I hate them more than anything in existence. And I'm stuck with the 49ers. They're in the midst of right now is their worst losing streak in the history of their franchise, you know, well, well, successful uh, franchise. But you know what? I'm there every Sunday watching them lose to teams that are have one win on the season, watching them give up 14-point leads week after week, watching the stands being empty. Because you know why? I'm not a bandwagon fan, Chris. Come I'm on. true. I'm authentic. <laughs> I'm there in the bad. I'm there in the good. So when the, when the 49ers rise up with wings like Eagles and <laughs> win that, you know, that next championship ring, I'm going to be there enjoying it. And all those bandwagon fans, they won't enjoy it as much because they don't know the pain. They don't know the suffering of sitting through – Four hours every week of just trash, trash football. So that's there it is. That's my uh, that's my hero story. <laughs> now, now they're like the Cleveland Browns. They're that bad. Like, yeah, like Cleveland has right now zero wins on the year, and the 49ers have one win on the year. And there's only I think three weeks left, and we need Cleveland to win a game so that we get that number one overall pick. Because our strength of schedule right now is more difficult than Cleveland. We own the tiebreaker. They just got to win one yeah. game. And assuming we don't win again. Well, it might not happen. It's been, I don't even, like I watch because like you, it's the right thing to do. You have to, right even, if, even if they're playing poor, I just, you have to watch. You have to do it. And so I'm, I'm like you, hoping, I'm hoping for something to to happen in the next in the next three years. 
this season's a write-off. You and I can both agree on that. It's a write-off. There's nothing good that's going to come out of this season at all. Maybe a draft pick. Maybe. Cap, Cap is playing as decent as he can. And I don't even know if I can say that without shrugging my shoulders and ending with a heightened question mark, perhaps, maybe? There's no defense. I'm a huge Kaepernick fan, so I'm, I'm biased towards him. But, but he's not Cap of two years ago. We, we can both agree on that. We, he's not Cap of three years ago. We can both agree on that. Yeah, and he also doesn't have a number one defense nope. behind him with Randy Moss, Michael Crabtree, and a host of other defense receivers he's got vance mcdonald psych doesn't even have that dude because he's on the ir for the year he's got nobody you know what? if you're listening to this podcast you should probably turn it up because this is what it's going to be it's just gonna be me and chris doing sports the whole time because all we normally get is 140 characters on twitter and now we've got this medium with no ended fights <laughs> it's just bad news i'm just he has no there's no running game there's no i mean and even if they, and even if the offense puts up numbers, the defense is so weak. The defense is so weak. Worst in the league. It's just, it's, it's painful to even, it's painful, to, it's, it's painful to watch a game where you know that your team is not going to win. That's, it's painful to watch a game when you know for a fact that at the end of it all, your team is not going to win at all. That that part for me is really tough. It's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to stomach because I, I'm, I'm a. 49ers fan and I'm a Cowboys fan. Those are my two teams. Which is, and I recognize that there it's like Highlander. There can only be one, but I'm you know cheat the system. I have two teams. The Cowboys are playing excellent football. I mean, apart from this past Sunday, but I'm always hoping that you're going to hear this is the week that the the San Francisco 49ers they've won a game and then two in a row and then three. But it's it's not a thing. It's not a thing. <laughs> you can't see this right now, it's but not. Brady is just nodding no. It's kind of like a, a, a resigned sort of like, nope, I can't, no, there's nothing left to it. So uh, there's, like, nothing, there's nothing left to say to nope. just, yeah, it's a resigned fact. This is the life of my football <laughs> fanhood at this time. How do you feel about the Jays right now? I feel pretty no idea. I am shocked. I am beyond shocked with what happened to the market for free agents Jose Batista and Edwin Encarnacion. I'm shocked that the the, the lowball offer we gave Edwin is actually going to be likely the best offer that he gets, at least with all um, signs pointing to that right now. I have it's just it's bizarre. Like it's it, it's it's nice to know that I can blame the Blue Jays front office for screwing everything up. But in this instance, what's kind of sucky is I don't even think we can blame them. Yeah. I don't think anyone would have anyone would have anticipated that someone that hit a hundred and 30 RBIs knocked in and 40 plus home runs is having trouble getting a contract. Like no. it's, it's just bizarre. Who would have thought that now relievers are the ones that are getting $90 million contracts because they can throw one inning of relief. It's, it's bizarre Two, I think what, what happened with Kansas city two years ago with Wade Davis and everything else, I think the way Kansas city won the world series two years ago has changed the landscape of baseball now. And so you want to have somebody who can just do the sixth inning and you want to have somebody who can just do the seventh and so on and so forth, which is why, and you and I, we were able to, to, to laugh about this on Twitter all season, Brett Cecil would drive you nuts because you put him in the seventh and he would give up a game or, 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 or Storm would go in in the eighth before they got grilly and he would give up the, and you're like, what's happening? Well, now you're seeing the importance of having that sixth, seventh and eighth inning guy to be able to to carry you through so that your your um your starter only goes up to five and a half, maybe six innings, if that. Cleveland did that for themselves. You put in Miller and you don't worry about a darn thing until the end of the game. So I don't know. Which is a huge big deal in the playoffs, but you can't do that for 162 games in the year. You wear out your, you know, end of bullpen guys way too fast. But, you know, once you get to the playoffs, the the teams that have the, you know, the the Chapmans and the Millers waiting there to destroy you are the ones that, you know, eventually are in the World Series and get the pennant. So, I I, I do not envy anyone who has to put together a, a baseball team right now at all. Now, I know you, I know you're surprised about Edwin. Are you really surprised about Jose though? Are are can we really say that you like after the second injury, 
that you couldn't see this coming where he wouldn't be able to get picked up at least at this point by anyone? I mean, there are a lot of different factors to it. The fact that the Blue Jays extended a qualifying offer to him. So if someone signs him, that same team has to give up a first round pick. That's huge. The fact that he's, you know, 35, 36 is huge. What I'm most surprised about with Jose's market is the number of teams that are saying, we're not going to sign him because our fans don't like him. Read the Texas Rangers and the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah. It's just like, when did like fans like or dislike for a player ever come in the way of like Winning improving your team? I've, I don't think I've ever seen that across any sport. So that's what is like blowing my mind. Teams that could very well use him and his run support. I also, what I like about this is that I think there's a chance the, the Blue Jays sign him now. And what I love, I'm, I cannot wait to see Angry Jose this year. Yeah. Because... If there's anything that motivates Jose Batista better than anger, I have not seen it yet. Strikeouts. Strikeouts. <laughs> Strikeouts motivate. <laughs> Strikeouts motivate um, Jose Batista a lot. Strike, strike to yell, me out. Motivate him to yell at the umpire. Yes, yes, to, to whine and say, like, why is this happening to me? I, I'm really disappointed that um, Edwin is likely at this point not going to come back. He's like, no, I don't know where he's going to end up. Um, I really, I'm just hoping that it's not with Boston because Boston is unfair now. It's not fair to the world, actually. The amount that I dislike Boston and, and really every team in the AL East is unlike my dislike for any other team in sports, aside from the Seattle Seahawks. Like, that's what's so annoying about baseball. You play these teams just so much, you develop such a strong dislike for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't, and, and, I don't envy. I don't, I don't look forward to getting tickets this summer to going to watch Boston and and the Jays at the Dome. I don't. I don't want to go there. I don't. I don't want to be there for that. I don't want to be there for I, because it's going to be sad. It's just going to be like I like if if the Jays game is on and I'm at the gym, I don't work out. I stand where TV is and I just watch. And then when they lose. If they do lose, I just get up and I leave. I don't even change. I'll just go to the locker, grab my bag, and I'll go home. This no, this is like legitimately happened. Where like they'll be, uh, they were playing in, they were playing in Cleveland, and Osuna gave up a two-run home run in the in the in the ninth, and I got my stuff and I left, and I had just got into the well, gym twenty minutes earlier. Let's be honest, you have a problem, <laughs> like. You're unable, as far as I can tell from your personal anecdotes and, and most importantly, your Twitter account, you are unable to watch sports with a sound mind. Like sober judgment in sports for you, there is no mix whatsoever. Like if you're emo like once your emotion gets brought into the game, you're done. It's over. I'll be like, yes, Brett Cecil did do poorly in that inning, but he's had a streak of like X amount of good innings. You're like doesn't matter. He's going to hate us all. He's going to kill us. And you're like, okay, well, we're done this conversation. <coughs> Valid. That's a valid. That's a valid point. You know what? I'm not going to uh, even. Wisdom says I'm not going to even argue that, because it is it is. <laughs> it's unequivocally true and proven and documented yes, on the is. internet. Yeah, like there's no and I and I don't delete my tweets, so you can actually go back and find the moments where I am completely irrational. But I, but you know what though? I will say this. I own it. I own it. I own every. As long as you know. That's what's important. Yeah, I and I'm fully aware that once self awareness, once March comes and spring, like it's already doomsday for me. Come March, once spring training happens, it's already doomsday for me all the way until October, all the way. And I'm just, I'm just happy that I have friends who will ride with me the entire time, the entire season. That's all. That's all I'm grateful for. I mean, the Twitter mute button is always right there if needed. <laughs> My favorite thing is actually learning from friends of mine who love me. Like, Chris, listen, um, the back end of the last two weeks, I had to mute you because I just couldn't do it anymore. And I'm like, you know what? I appreciate it. At least you told me. At least you told me you muted me. And I didn't have to kind of find out. You're like, yeah. So once the season was over, I followed you. I unmuted you and everything's fine. But like the last, once they were almost in the wild card until the end, I had to mute you. And I would just see if somebody retweeted something that you said. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's fair because I recognize myself as a basket case. And so I have to laugh when friends of mine then say, oh, yeah, by the way, Chris, you're kind of nuts. 
It's true. It's, it, no, but, but it is. So, and if you do listen to this podcast, the seven of you, not including my wife, because my wife doesn't listen to these, you are fully aware because this is a recurring theme with friends of mine who I follow, who follow me on Twitter or friends on, on, on that sort of medium, that this actually does happen. It's not a fable. It's not make-believe. I am that way, legitimately. And so it's being confirmed for you once again. That, there you go. But that is, but that is very funny. Um, let me ask you a little bit about Pro Church Tools if I can. Um, Let's do it. Um, the first question is, at what point did you decide that this was something that you wanted to make the rest of your life, or at least this this chapter of your life? Because it's not something that a lot of people have ideas for, like, you know what the church needs? You know what the church needs to be doing? You know what we could be... But a, a lot of people just say that in their pew or in their car driving home after service that they didn't like. You know what I mean? Or, you know, sitting in an idea over coffee with somebody. What made you, after school, say, this is something that I, I, I want to do as a contribution back to the church? Well, it, it was after school. I was in Bible college. Uh, Vanguard in Edmonton, Alberta was where I went to uh, Bible college. And I was in my second year, and I got hired on at my church as the media director. And at the time, I had no expertise when it came to video, web, graphic design. Uh, but my pastor, he said he just saw something in me. He's like, you know what? I had faith that you were going to figure it all out. And I'm not the type of person that I can look back and see the origins of my entrepreneurial spirit as a kid. My dad is a firefighter. My mom was a librarian. So, you know, public works. There's no really entrepreneurs or business owners in my family at all. But there's always been this one thing that I do have, kind of an unfair advantage. And that is that when I when I have an idea or a goal, I, I have an unsatiable desire to accomplish that goal. And usually nothing will get in the way of that. Um, so basically, if, if, my, if I can get my mind set on any skill, on any project, on any goal, there's very little that can ever stop me of, of getting what I want. Of course, that has a very dark side as well. Yep. That being that I can just become so single track minded that my, my, my wife and my daughter are like, hey, we're over here. And I'm like, you know, just focused yep. way too much. But uh, what happened was, I, you know, I got hired on at, at my church as the media director. And within the next, you know, 6, 12, 18 months, I had learned to a pretty good level of quality web design, videography, graphic design and social media. And what happened was, I mean, Edmonton's a city of about a million people. But I started getting known, at least in the Pentecostal circles of, hey, this guy can help us help our church with media and people started asking me hey can you make a video for me can you do this for me and i realized i was like you know i'm, I'm really no one special chris like i just learned these things during school in my spare time and i thought you know what instead of just offering my services and working for churches you know freelance or whatever i wanted to be able to teach churches how to do this themselves mm -hmm. and so that's how prochurchtools.com was born i just started teaching everything that i was learning publishing it publishing it and the interesting thing that, that came from that is that because I was giving away everything that I was learning and just sharing all of the lessons that I was gathering as I was, you know, developing these skills in my own life, people began to see me as an authority, trust me for what I was saying. And it all started with just, you know, getting hired as that media director in Bible college five, six years ago. So I was listening to a, a podcast that you had with uh, Carrie Newhoff. Um, this morning, kind of getting ready, doing some research and stuff. And one of the things you talked about in, in kind of moving into this realm where, you know, pro church tools is really well known, you know, like it's, it's a well-known commodity among, among churches, among leaders is you, you mentioned a little, a little bit about the freelance stuff and you're creating things, you're doing things for free, you're giving them away. And then it was one, uh, one element that you were doing that somebody caught hold of and said, you know what, I, I, this is something that we want to invest in more. What has it been like for you to watch Pro Church Tools and, and your name and what you're doing kind of go from this idea that you had um, being in second, third year Bible college to being something where um, churches like, like my own and others are saying, you know what, we want to have them um, invest in us and train us and teach us how to do 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 what we're trying to do better i mean it, it's definitely been surreal but at the same point i do have a little bit of unreasonable confidence in myself and i didn't expect this to happen 
but it all started with like a single goal, which was, okay, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to, the single goal from the beginning, Chris, was that I wanted to stay at home, be able to stay at home full time with my wife and family. So if we wanted, none of us would have to have a job and have to commute every day. And the reason this all happened was because we were living in the godforsaken city of Edmonton, Alberta, which has six months of winter. And commuting there is like commuting in ice road truckers. You know, you're taking your life into your own hands every single day. And I think I just had like this glorified, uh, imaginative view that if, if we could just work from home all the time, it would all be okay. And we don't live in Edmonton anymore. Now we live in Niagara Falls, Ontario. Uh, and so that was my goal from the beginning. And all I needed to do to accomplish that goal was just replace my meager $1,200 per month part-time church income. And so I replaced that. And then the next goal was, okay, I want to earn you know X amount of dollars a month. And then it was like, okay, I want to earn like six figures a year. And then it was like, okay, now I want to build a seven-figure company. And so it, you know, when you look at one goal from another, step two to step three, step four to five, it seems manageable. It seems realistic. But when you go all the way back to step one and then look at where you're at currently, that's where the, the jump can seem really extreme. But it's all been broken down into micro steps growing bit by bit by bit. It's a, it's a privilege. It's surreal. And I do it myself daily, weekly. Just I don't, I don't want it to be granted. You know, I get to work with, we have six full-time people now. Um, and I get to work with like some of my best friends that I've known for years, decades even. And we all get to make great, you know, creative work and art for churches that we care about. I mean, what, what better could there be than that? And so I don't want to take that for granted for sure. Let me ask you. Let me ask you this too. Um, one of the things that my, my, my I told my wife that I was going to be uh, sitting and chatting with you for a little bit. One of the things she she was like, uh, she said was, ask him about smaller churches. Ask him about smaller churches, and I was like, what do you mean smaller churches? And then she got upset with me, and then she walked out of the room, which kind of happens. In marriage, so I have no clue what she really meant. But what you know, what she what she meant was, you know, there's there's churches who, you know, for example, like a central in in St. Catharines, uh, you know, who are high media, high octane in that regard, and then there are smaller churches who are going to look at St. Catharines, and I'm just using them as an example because Niagara in the area, but all sorts of, and they're looking like, is that what we're supposed to be like? What do you say to the church who's kind of like, um, you know, we need to have all of this stuff because media is now kind of this new medium, if you will, of communicating. You talk a lot about, a lot about story on your, on your Twitter feed, and your quick tips, like how important story is. How have you seen story affect how people use media or vice versa how has media affected how we use story especially when it comes to smaller churches that may not have necessarily the budget to to do things like the big the big media stuff the big videos the big uh, moving backgrounds that sort of thing well i'm i'm very glad that you asked that question depending on how you interpret the numbers like the average church size in north america is between 100 and 200 to 300 people so most churches are in that size. So when we, when we talk about smaller churches, we're not talking about like a small subset of all the churches. You know, if your church is under 200, you're the odd one out. No, like that's the norm. Yeah. And one of the biggest problems that I see working with, you know, the hundreds and the thousands of churches that we do is that everyone looks to the big churches and wants to replicate what they're doing. And they do that by saying, oh, if they're doing this, it would mean that if I did this, we would then be able to reach that size. It's a completely nonsensical argument, and when you say it out loud, mm -hmm. it makes you think, okay, look, no one's thinking that way, but we all think that way. The same way we think about gear. You know, like, I'm shooting with this camera. If I had this camera, my videos would look like that. That's not true at all. That could be completely untrue. It, it's all about, you know, the person using the camera. So what I ask churches to do is to really ask the, the why. Why are we doing this? There are kind of like these three things that most churches aspire to that I consider like the three most like toxic things that you can do for most churches. Those three being stage design, live streaming, and church apps. These are the three things that get over glamorized so, so much. Really? You know, if we just had a better stage design, if we could just start live streaming, if we just built a church app, that would be kind of the silver bullet. Um, and you know why people 
Chris, like, search, like strive after those so hard is because a lot of the time the lead pastor is the one making the decision in your church. And there's a huge ego boost to know that my church live streams or my church has a mobile app. Or if you come to my church, you're going to see stage design that blows you away. Hmm. But what I like to do is if I go back to the why, why are we doing this? The why behind stage design and live streaming and uh, a mobile app is often very, very weak when you compare it to the why of stuff like social media, a strong website, and just using storytelling throughout all of your church's communications. They're, those three things are way less glamorous, but the why behind them is so much stronger than the why behind the other three. And, and you asked about story, and I'll, I'll just mention social media again, and you can push back on the, the three items that I mentioned in just a moment if you want. Um, what I've found is that social media and storytelling are two of the great equalizers when it comes to media and communications, especially in the digital world. If you want to start live streaming and you want your stream to compare to that of a big church, you're looking at 10 to 25K minimum investment, not to mention the volunteers to run the cameras every week, not to mention the time of encoding and uploading and editing and adding the graphic overlays and making sure everything is fine. If you want to shoot a amazing stories like Elevation, for instance, the cameras they're using start at 50K each. Even if you're renting them, you know, that's a huge amount of money. Stage design can run into the tens of thousands so quickly. Building an app, I spoke to a developer the other day. He said, if you're going to build an actual app from scratch, it's 100K minimum. What? For, for him. And he's like, that, and that's pretty normal. He said, if you're going to build an app from scratch. Whoa, whoa, now, if you want to use wait, a wait, pre-built wait. sort of thing. $100,000? Like legitimately? Yeah. So he said, there's a, like the three, the, one of the biggest cost... Uh, reasons for this and that's not to say you couldn't find one cheaper but this is working with a quality web dev uh, app developer he said the big one of the biggest costs is that you have to uh, account for all the five different uh, apps that you have to build right it's not just one app you got to build one for the google os for the mac os mm, okay fair for the android os right so you got you're actually building you know three or four different ones you then have to account for all the updating. Every time an OS gets updated by one of these, you have to you know, do the update yourself and make sure that it works. Otherwise, your app will break. And then if you're building an app that's actually doing big things, meaning it's using the, the features of a mobile device that make apps so great, that being push notifications, GPS monitoring, those type of things, development around those is not cheap at all. Now, with all that being said, if all you want to do is take content from your website, read articles, videos, podcasts, and put it into an app, you can do that with a cheap app builder, you know, 100 bucks a month, no problem. But then the question I have for you is, why is that better than a website? Mm -hmm. They're both, if, as long as your website's responsive, why add the barrier of having to install an app on your phone? And, and just to drop some data, to, because, you know, this kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't expect to talk about apps. Um, <laughs> a, a stat that you'll see a lot of mobile applications is that, 80% of the time, 80 plus percent of the time that's spent on a mobile device is spent inside of apps, whereas about 10% is spent in a browser. What that stat fails to share, and this is one of the downfalls of stats, you know, they, they can only share a single data point, they don't give you entire context, is that the top five apps on your phone, that being your email app, Facebook, and then your other social ones of choice, are using 93 or something percent of that 80% time. So your church's app isn't in that eighty percent, yeah, exactly. It's um, and so uh, here's another crazy stat that I came across, um, and this is from Google directly. Uh, Sixty percent of the apps inside the Google Play Store have been downloaded a grand total of zero times. So more than half of the apps in the Google Play Store have been downloaded zero times. Think about the amount of money that went into those sixty percent of apps, which constitutes, I, I imagine, in hundreds of thousands, if not millions, zero times. And then if you can do all the hard work of getting someone to download an app, install it on their phone, keep it updated, here's the killer. 80% of people that download actual apps don't become active users of those apps. So getting them to download it is already hard enough, but the harder part is actually getting people, users to use them on a frequent, consistent basis and be active users. All that when you could just have had a responsive website to begin with, huh. which is really just the easier way to go. So, that was not what I expected to talk about, but we could talk about that if you want. No, well, no. I, <laughs> my I, bad, my bad. No, 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 no. I, I want to I go back to the idea of, um, of ego. And, you know, I you know, might get in trouble for, for referring to it on my end. 
but that's okay. That's what podcasts are for, to be able to have conversation. Do you, do you think when it comes to, to senior leadership, and I'm not a senior pastor, you know, I work at a Bible college, I'm not, not in that, that, that zone, but do you think for some that you get to work with, that you get to talk to, that there is this worry of kind of the keeping up with the Joneses, or I'll, I'll, put, a, I'll put a different last name to it, the keeping up with the Stanleys, the keeping up with the, the Groschels and everything else like that, to be able to kind of maintain that like, not only am I reading the books, but I'm doing what they're doing, and I'm changing my set, and I'm doing this, and I'm... Um, does, 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 do those changes help the story? Because ultimately the story that, that you've learned, that I've learned, that we try to communicate on a regular basis is what Jesus does in the life of a believer. That's, that, that's the, the gist of it. Does, do all of these things, do they enhance the story or do they kind of distract us from the story? Well, Chris, you and I both have young kids. We do. And- I think one of the best things that we can instill in our children is a certain level of self-esteem, knowing that they are valuable as they are, knowing that they have worth and that they are, you know, they have something to offer society and those that are around them. And I want to take what you said just a layer a little bit deeper because you're saying, sure. is this because we're just trying to keep up with the Stanleys? And the reason I mentioned kids is that, you know, when you're a kid, you're in elementary school, it's tough. Because everyone is incredibly insecure, and so we all just form these cliques, we tear each other down, we make fun of one another, there's these school bullies, there's the kids that get picked on, the kids that pick on others, and everyone is like equally insecure. If you're secure in who you are, and you have strong self-esteem, this happens to me all the time online, because I have a big enough platform that attracts trolls and, and haters, when someone comes and like just tears me apart and just calls me like a scam artist, or uh, you know, a know nothing like loser. Like I've been called the worst things online. When I hear those things, they truly do not matter to me at all because like I know who I am and what they're saying is obviously untrue. And why would I care when someone says something untrue about me if I know it's untrue? You know, it yeah. doesn't work me up that someone says two plus two is five because I know they're incorrect. And the problem with the church world that we live in is that we're nonprofits and we're understaffed and those that work in the church world they have a you know a certain area of expertise like i was trained in student ministry that's my official degree and if all we do is focus on like you know these these certain areas our skill sets that exist the problem is in church world we're not only expected to do those things we're expected to do everything else yeah and that creates a very dangerous potential because what it means is now you're operating in a world where you don't know what the best practices are. You don't know what you should be striving for. You don't know the why. And so what do you do? You get shiny object syndrome. You start just saying, well, they did this, so we should do this. And you don't really have a strong foundation. So that, that bully on the schoolyard, it starts saying, you know, you suck, you're stupid. If you know that's incorrect, they don't bother you. Same way within the church world. If you feel like you need to live stream, you need to have a mobile app, you need to start, you know, doing this because the Groeschels and the Furdicks and the Stanleys do, if you don't understand the why, if you don't have a strong sense of this is what my church is and this is what we're trying to accomplish, you're just going to start you know, chasing after whatever the newest and coolest thing is. It's going to cost you a ton of money, it's going to not work, and it's going to make you feel even worse than you did in the beginning. And this is why my platform basically exists, just to educate churches to be like, look, this is what you need to communicate well in a digital world. Yeah. And I'll wrap this response up by concluding with, with what you asked, kind of how you finished the question. Does this stuff add to the noise, or does it actually help us communicate, like, the gospel? You know, at, at the end of the day, the goal of all of our churches is, is to make disciples. We want to share the story of Christ in compelling ways that inspires people to begin, you know, walking alongside Jesus and finding life in Christ. That's our goal with what we're trying to accomplish in, in church. And there are so many different ways to accomplish that, and really, the best way to accomplish a goal is you first have to acquire people's attention. So if you're in church and you want people to sign up for baptism, before you can get them to take that step, you have to get their attention to communicate that action point. Same thing with any type of communication. And this happens with you know macro communication, getting your church noticed, to micro communication, Chris and I having conversations uh, you know, about Jesus with the people around us. If you don't have people's attention, you can't actually get them to take any action. And so you have to look in culture, where is the attention right now? Well, the attention really isn't live from stage one hour every Sunday morning. You've got some attention there, but when you're talking community-wide, region-wide, city-wide, the attention is online. 
It's, you know, in uh, search engines. It's on social media. It's on it's in video. And so before you can ever get someone to actually hear the message of Christ, you got to find them. You got to get their attention. And so what better way to get their attention than just going where the attention is. Yeah. You know, it's not because I'm young that I love technology or anything like that. I try to be, you know, as non-romantic, to quote Gary Vee, as I can when it comes to certain mediums. It's just about where are people right now? Like, I was late to the Instagram game, Chris, real late. And I, w- I love Twitter. And Twitter right now is kind of dwindling, but I love it so much. for It's fun for me that I spend so much time there. And I'm having to push myself extra hard to put a ton of effort into Instagram because I was late to the game. But yeah. I recognize that after Facebook, it's the most important social platform for me and likely for most churches listening as well. And so it's about not being romantic with what worked, what got us here. You know, like handing out tracks, doing huge live events. That stuff is not as powerful nowadays as it used to be. So don't be romantic with what got you there. Look where the attention is now. Focus there. So in in that regard, how do you, I guess what I'm trying to ask you is, how do you educate churches to kind of get over themselves, for for lack of a better word? I know it sounds a little crude and a a little rude, but how do you educate churches to get over themselves to see past the shiny, right? to be able to see beyond that, to actually see the goal in front of them and to actually use the tools around them. Because thankfully, you don't have to pay for Twitter. Thankfully, you don't have to pay for Instagram. These are things that are, all it is is you, you, need, you need the device to download it and then you're able to go. How do you help them to kind of get beyond, but I need it, but I need it. No different than how I feel like I need every pair of Jordans that's ever existed. I don't need, and I'm, if my wife was listening to this, she would amen this right away. I don't need every pair of Jordans. I might want them, but I don't need them. How do you help churches kind of say, you don't need this? I know you think you do, but you don't. The easiest way, I'll give, you, uh, I'll give two points here. The easiest way is to ask someone to explain why you're doing this based on the mission of the church or the organization. So when you, let's say the senior leadership is saying, you know, we need to begin live streaming and you're wanting to push back on that. Or let's even use an easier one. Church thinks that we need a mobile app. We absolutely do. Ask them to articulate it in such a way that they can say, okay, based on the mission, this is who we are as a church, this is what we're trying to accomplish, this is why a mobile app aligns with those efforts. The problem is that the burden of proof is almost always going to be on you, not the senior leadership. So they don't really have to explain to you why they need to, they're doing something. You need to explain to them why they shouldn't. Yeah. And so this is the second point. If you are trying to change leadership's mind, whether it be to start a new project that you're passionate about or veer them away from a project that you think is going to be a waste of time, money, and energy, what you want to do is you always want to go back to the vision and mission of the church. It's very likely that your lead pastor, your senior pastor, and your senior leadership have spent a ton of time articulating this vision and mission. So the vision for my church is inviting people into a life that matters. So what I would want to do is I'd want to go to that main goal, align my project with that goal. That's good. And then articulate to my leadership, this is why this is important. Not because I think it's cool and I love Twitter and I'm a 25-year-old that just wants us to get on Snapchat. No, because here are the stats, here's the audience, here's the attention. And it's important because it aligns with who we are as a church. And then what happens is you have a little bit of success, Chris. You do something and it works. Then you get a little bit more equity the next time and mm-hmm. you get a little more trust and you build on that and you build on that. Yeah, I, ho- I hope if you're a young leader like that, like like grab hold of that. Gra- like that's one of the things I've, I've learned in the years I've been alive along with, you know, don't eat yellow snow, look both ways before crossing the street, that sort of stuff is to, to ask the right questions be humble and to and to make sure that when you're in that meeting that you know what you're talking about make sure that you know that you're not just talking out of feelings and you know the lord spoke to me or whatever else and that's all well and good but you actually have research and you're able to kind of use the words of leadership to your advantage in that regard like based on who we are this is why we should do this and not the other way around so I, I, I hope if you're listening to this, like like you rewind and rewrite and rewind and rewrite and then quote this on your wall or something, because that was that was that was gold. That was that was legit. It's not it's not Colin Kaepernick 
uh, Super Bowl, but it was good. But it was good. Um, let me ask this, um, Brady. Where do you see the church moving forward? You're in this. You're in this unique spot, man. Like, um, the more the more I read, like I'm learning from your tweets on your quick points. I'm learning from them myself, and I'm paying attention to them on, along with, um, you know. I think the both of us got connected. There was a guy who was like, for some reason, you and I were tweeting about something, and then he found it, and then he started arguing or saying, "Poor like I don't even, I don't even know who this person is." Right he got now. real mad. He got real mad for, <laughs> for so when you were talking about like haters, I'm like, no, that's not. Oh yeah, no, it's true. No, he would get haters. Yep, because I saw that actually happen once. Um, where do you see? the church moving forward. If, if media is something, you know, we're in the platinum age of television. We were able to, before you had to be at home to watch something on TV. Now you're able to watch on your mobile device. Um, there are better TV shows in some respects and movies online on things like Hulu and Amazon and at least in the States and you know what I mean? Canada, whatever else, but you know, it's available, it's available in Canada as of this week. Really? Amazon Prime video for us. Yep. Excuses, Boom. everybody. That just happened. That just happened, and I'm gonna. I am. I. I have lost my Christmas holidays. Um, um. You know, everything. Receive that, man. I have. Oh my goodness, I have. My wife's gonna be so mad at you. Um, you know, like there, there's um all these things that we're able to. Media is an important part of our lives now. It's just a part of who we are. I mean, even the the present elect of the United States of America is probably one of the savviest users of social media. I'll use that word. Savviest users of social media. Um, media is something. It's not going to go away. It's only going to become more ingrained. So where do you see the church and media and that relationship moving five years from now? Whatever you believe about millennials, my generation, there's a couple non-arguable um, facts. The first one being that we're the largest generation in the history of humankind. There's more of us than even the boomers. And there's another interesting data point now, you know, data points, again, they can just be, they, they, they don't tell the whole story. But I'll back this up with my own personal, uh, my, my, my own personal beliefs. 66% of millennials find that an online interaction is equally as valuable as an in-person interaction. The difference between online and offline and the blur between that, it's like, it's completely blurred nowadays. And if you are as a church spending the majority of your time on the live on your Sunday weekend experience, on your in-person stuff, and you're not spending very much time at all on the online side, on the digital side, you're not in a good position for the next decade simply because church attendance is going down. Yeah. Attending church events is going down. So how are we going to connect with these people? You know, it, you, you have to be non-romantic about this as much as possible. I know it's hard, and it's going to be hard for me as I get older. You know, it's easy for me to say as a young person because my stuff is still on trend. One day it won't be, and I'm going to have to relearn everything all over again. But the way that you did things, it does. you know, it's unlikely that you're going to get back to the good old days. You mentioned the president-elect. The reason Donald Trump, everyone loved him so much, because his rallying cry for a, a very a, a group of people that has been seeing their influence diminish and diminish was we're going to make America great again. We're going to go back to the glory days. You don't want to get locked into that mentality because you're not going to go back to the glory days. It's not going to happen. You got to find new ways of finding people. And so when it comes to the future, I mean, we're already here right now as, as, as a culture. And what I want to see churches is, you know, you don't have to allocate 50% to online, 50% to in-person. You know, I don't want to go like crazy that far that quick, but you have to just Take inventory of what your church is doing and recognize that in the next 10 years, the millennials, my age right now, which is right now where your youth pastors, where your student pastors, where your worship pastors, soon we're going to be the lead pastors. Hmm. And, we, you know, we're going to come of age so quick. And the generation behind us is even more crazy than us. And so you need to really <laughs> begin to invest. Yeah, exactly. Invest in the world of digital, in the world of online, because, you know, in person, I, hear me loud and clear. In-person is incredibly valuable, and it does not need to go away. That's what a lot of the times people think. Like, well, you know, we can't just get rid of in-person. Like, we can't get rid of meeting as a body of Christ. No one's saying that. All we're saying is that the balance is completely out of whack when you contrast that with culture. And if you want the attention of a culture that you would say needs Jesus, then you got to align what you're doing and the way you grab attention with the way that attention is grabbed everywhere else. 
So I, I know that, you know, a short time frame. So I just want to ask, not like to ask, kind of clarify from my brain. Um, so we need to go where the millennials are and younger, you know, like I'm sure, you know, like your house, like my house where my kids, it's easy for them to go on an iPad, find what they want on YouTube kids and just go like, it's, it's not hard for them. They're just able to do like, like they're just able to do that, you know, in the, in the, in the, you know, family that, you know, and church family that, you know, like their kids are just like, they're, everyone's walking with an iPad and they just know what to do with stuff. Um, and they're not, and you know, millennials aren't necessarily going to church and younger. They're not necessarily going, just going like, I'm just going to go to church today because I just really feel like this is just something that we're, I want to do. So how does a church reach them without one forfeiting their ideals or thinking that the best way to do that is to do Facebook live or live streaming on a Sunday when everybody else who they're trying to Facebook live or live stream to is in churches. Like that's my, my favorite thing to laugh at is how many um, colleagues of mine and peers of mine are Facebook living. And I just kind of walk through and I look at, there's three people watching there at that church, two people at that church. And because everyone waves like, oh, it's just changing the game completely. So how do you, so how do you see reaching them without doing something that's completely against the nature of what your church is trying to do in the first place? There is, I think this false belief that to reach a group of people that are unreached, you have to compromise your beliefs in some way. I don't think that's true at all. The problem is that churches focus a huge amount of their time on rebroadcasting if they are already invested in digital and not repurposing. And that might seem like a really, like I'm splitting hairs there, but there's a big difference. What Chris just mentioned, when people just Facebook live their services, they're taking what they're doing online and they're just, uh, sorry, in person, and they're just rebroadcasting that online. You as a church have a huge advantage that almost every other organization does not. And that is that your existing culture and infrastructure is predicated on creating content. Think about it this way. Every Sunday, a new worship set has to be developed. A brand new message has to be prepared. Like the local law firm or insurance agency down the street, all they do is work with clients. They're not creating content. They have to do that on top of what they already do. You as a church, you've got all this content. And what you also have is what everyone is looking for. So here's a way to not change your beliefs. We, we, you know, we found, and this is a, this is a broad generalization, there are basically three human pain points that the church can speak to so much more than others. Three things. People are looking for three things, and they start with three problems. The three problems that most people have, you'll identify with one of these, if not multiple. Number one, I'm not good enough. Number two, I'm all alone. Number three, life is passing me by. At one point or another, we've all identified with one, two, or all three of those feelings. I'm not good enough. You know, Everyone else, they've got it better than me. I, you know, I just wasn't born with it. This is all I've got. I'm just worthless compared to others. I'm all alone. Everyone else is getting married. Everyone else is having kids. Everyone else has these great friends, and I see them on Instagram. They're doing these amazing things, and I'm just like here watching Netflix by myself Friday night again. Or life is passing me by. You know, as millennials, we can feel like this so much. I mean, all this student debt, I don't have like my life together. I'm already 28 and I'm still single. You know, what, what am I going to do with my life? My job sucks. I hate my job. I feel like I'm not making an impact on the world. And as a church, we can speak to all three of those things. When people are saying I'm not good enough, we can offer them hope. When people are saying I'm all alone, we can offer them community. And when people are saying life is passing me by, we can offer them purpose. All you have to do is find the pain points that people already have and meet them there with what Jesus is offering, hope, mm. community, and purpose. That's what the church does and should do better than everyone else. So now, when the message is already there. Now all you have to do is go where people are. Social media is not requiring you to compromise you know, what you're doing. The message is always going to be the same, and you're never going to have to compromise your message. What you will have to do is change the medium. You know, to quote the great Canadian Torontonian philosopher Marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message. Yeah. If you have the greatest story and message of all time, it doesn't really matter if no one can hear it. You got to be using the right mediums as well. And, and to quote um, uh, the great philosopher from Canada and Toronto, Drake started from the bottom. Now we're here. I just wanted to feel like I was adding mm. into the into the conversation. man. <laughs> I was listening to views this morning. Uh, I was editing some video and had views blasted. 
I just wanted to add something in there that made me. I was like, I don't know any Gordy Dowie, Gord quotes. Drake's in it my would mind. Be better if you just said Aubrey Graham, <laughs> Aubrey Graham, the philosopher Aubrey Graham. Mm, you would have known him also as Jimmy, Jimmy Brooks. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, like my 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 hope is for, like I I love the local church. I get I get as you would at different points. I get annoyed with the local church. But I also recognize that I'm not in pastoral ministry, so I can't armchair quarterback. I have to be a part of the solution. I, I can't just kind of sit sidelines and stuff. And I and I and I believe in it. I believe in what the local church can do and what it is trying to do in the life of uh, in the life of people. And so I'm excited to um, to see how I'm excited to learn about how pro church tools is helping the church remind itself of its mission. And from a from a from a local singular church each church perspective, and then from a a kingdom of churches, like reminding it, like this is like we want to train you to do stuff, but ultimately we want to train you to do stuff that works for the people that you're trying to reach, not just so that you end up becoming the next thing. Because even that, like becoming the next uh, the next thing, is so fluky. You know what I mean? Like. Uh, I was reading an article a while ago of Andy Stanley saying, you know, at a certain point, we're not going to be that church anymore. And it's going to be somebody else. And it just, it mm. just, it just happens, right? Where, um, you know, I remember, uh, like I mentioned earlier, you had, uh, you were on Carrie Newhoff's uh, podcast. I remember when Carrie, it was easy to kind of book Carrie for stuff. You know, like, it's just right. kind of like, hey, Carrie, you want to come talk to our church? Sure, why not? And now it's like, it's, it's that season. It's that time for him. And it'll be somebody else. And the best thing to do for the other other people is to not try to do what Carrie did and retrace his steps to become the next Carrie. And for these churches, I love that the fact that you're working with churches and you're helping them be the best church that they can be and not so that they can somehow, with your help, unintentionally become the next whatever. You know, like that that that's 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 vital to me because I you know, I get like like you, you get to go and be at different spots. You're like, no, you could, you don't have to do all these, you don't have to do all that stuff, man. Like, the like the average person doesn't really care. You know, like the average person is like kind of like, oh, that's great, you have lights, that's awesome, it's fantastic. But I, I, my life still sucks. <laughs> I still have no job, like that, th- those sort of things. And so, to help churches meet needs, that's a, that's a like that's a really 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 valuable thing that, that of your contribution on top of the on top of the. The, the 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 tweet helps and everything else like the fact that you're able to go into churches and help them re re understand that's a made up word I guess but re understand who they are and why they actually exist I think that's a, I think that's a, a noble thing especially um, coming from age and stage and oh let me ask you this. I know this is, oh, we're going long but you are under thirty you're running this company and you're talking to leaders who are over thirty some of them over 50 and they're like how do you how do you work that blend in where you're like you're like hey man i recognize that you're doing this and you're doing that but if your church just did this you'd be fine like what are those conversations like because i don't get to be in those conversations yeah i uh having the size of platform that i do compensates for that a bit let's like let, let's just be frank it whenever people look at numbers and those numbers like are good they feel like, oh, this person knows what they're talking about. Yeah, that could be 100% untrue, but I think we'd be kidding ourselves to think that that doesn't play a part, right? So whenever you can say like, yeah, like we work with 25,000 churches, people are like, oh, okay, like maybe we should listen what this person has to say. Yeah, and then it comes down to really just uh, like the proof is in the pudding. So for instance, like you're listening to this podcast, listener, and you may not have known who I was at the very beginning. Hopefully, after the hour that we've spent together, there's been something that I've said that's struck a chord with you, that's been helpful, that you can implement at your church, and now you already feel a little bit more inclined to listen to me than you did when we first started just talking about the 49ers. Mm -hmm. And because my platform was built on that entire premise, the premise being I'm going to give away as much education and helpful knowledge as I possibly can on social, with articles, with podcasts, with videos, I'm going to give it away for free. All my work, the best stuff I possibly have, give it away for free. In turn, that reciprocity, what it, it does, it earns reciprocity with people. They say, he gave away all this. I trust him. Like, you know, the, there's no, like, hidden agenda here. He knows who he's talking about because this one thing that he said, I tried and it worked. Yeah. And so normally um, the people that 
you know, are having me on already have a bit of trust uh, put within me. And if not, then I have to earn it. Just like I hopefully earned a little bit of it, you know, with people that weren't aware of who I was or what we do in this podcast itself. And so, you know, it's just doing that over and over again. And then this is my, I promise my last question. I'm just, because you, what happens is you get, you get so revved up in, in talking. You spend a number of your, your moments in your, in your week, um, you and your team filming and editing uh, announcement videos for churches, right? Like, so you're memorizing. Uh, I was just watching a couple of, like I was doing research today, watching a couple of the videos that you, you know, like examples that you have on, on, your, on your Vimeo. How do you, how do you present yourself so that it actually really makes it seem like, hey, does that guy go to our church? Like, has he, has he, has he been here before? Like, is he just kind of like, oh yeah, I think I know that guy. He's in the balcony. Like, I, like, because when I'm watching you talk about your, your, I think it was the um, engaged church or engaged ministry one, and I'm like, like, he actually sounds like Brady. Like, goes to that church. Like, he, his pronouns that he's using, his his facial expressions, his actions, it it, it like. Maybe that's the church that he goes. I know that's not the church, but maybe that, maybe he goes to multiple churches. I don't know. How do you like get that? <laughs> you know, but you know what I mean? Like, how do you get that out of you? Where like, like the person who's watching it, like, like I said, like you know, from various churches across Canada and around North America, they're able to go and look. Yeah, that guy. He he looks like he he really enjoys what he's doing. That's a lot of script. That's a lot of potlucks and youth events and car washes and mission trip meetings and the like and the and all that stuff. Uh, I was with Whitney George from Church on the Move uh, at a conference. Uh, we were speaking at the same conference a little while ago. And we were both staying at the same hotel. And they're taking us home after that day of the conference. And, and we're talking. And, and I've always loved speaking of video announcements. Church on the Move does amazing video announcements. And I remember asking, and this isn't the first time we talked about this, but I asked him, I said, how many people, again, do you have at your church who present video announcements? And he's like, yeah, I mean, we're a church of about, like, like say, 20,000-ish. I think we have three to five people that we trust on camera to deliver video announcements. Presenting and talking on camera, especially in the monologue style of video announcements where it's just you and a camera and the audience that's watching, is something that is incredibly unique. You, you know, we've all done public speaking throughout our lives, whether that be speeches in public school, you know, giving a toast at a wedding, whatever it might be. And it does not prepare you at all for what it's like to present on camera. Mm -hmm. It's an entirely unique thing. Why do I sound natural on it? Because in the last 24 months, I've presented 15,000 plus church announcements on camera, hundreds <laughs> upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of hours, me alone in the studio with churches from all across the, the world. So I'm talking with churches that have no white people in them. I'm talking with churches that have all white people, churches from the South, churches from the North, churches from the East, churches from the West, churches that pronounced it foyer, churches that pronounce it foyer, and I have to do all of it. Churches that say I have too much Canadian twang, churches that have said, Chris, is this true? You're too pasty, we can't see you against the backdrop because I was living in Edmonton and there's no sun there. Like, so I, I've seen it all, and this is how you, you, know, you, you end up sounding natural. Because you do it with exhaustive practice. I I, <laughs> I wish I could be in the room with you when someone tells you, A, you're too pasty. Like I, I want to be there kind of like to watch your face kind of go, oh, okay. Like I don't know how to fix that. Or, you know, like the the all black church in the South, like like what what are what are they looking like I'm I'm I'd be like I need to do the drive down just to kind of like just read through some of your choice emails. Like this is what a church said to me once. Just to kind of read through like like a pocket of a file of emails Look, from churches man, saying like there are some churches in Mobile, Alabama, and they love me, and there ain't a white person in that congregation. Come on now, get it, homie, get it. Started from the bottom. Now we're here. Thank you, Aubrey. <laughs> Thank you, Aubrey. You did it. You did it, Aubrey. You made it on. No, like, listen, I, I'm, I, like I said, like, I need to do a, a drive down to to the uh, Pro Church Tools um, offices to be able to kind of, like, uh, learn and watch and just see what you do. There's one thing to be able to talk about it, but to see it in action and to be able to uh, to see um, to see the, the, the groundswell, you know what I mean, of, of where the impact is coming from, I think that's an exciting thing. And I love the fact that... Um, you went to school, and out of school, you did this thing that's still pouring into churches. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, you know, it's not like, well, I went to school, and now I, I'm, I, I have this video company. But you're, you're, it's ministry. It's still something that is pouring into and 
impacting people and leading them hopefully to the point where then you're handing off the baton to churches where they're able to say like now you got to finish this thing off i've helped you up to this point you now have to carry this race and finish this thing off so i am i'm excited for for what you're able to do and i'm excited that you and i get to do this in in this weird twitter world together and be able to cheer one another on. i think that's i think that's a lot of fun yeah it's great man Listen, I'll, I'll let you go because uh, you have you have busy stuff to do, and you have more hours and hours and hours of video announcements to do. True, never-ending hours. <laughs> Listen, uh, Brady, thanks so much for doing this, uh, and thanks for coaching me. Like I'm, I, I'm literally like watching your setup, and I'm like, I want. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying not to let myself get sh- blinded by the by the shiny things as well. But I do know that it's worthwhile uh, paying attention to to people who are doing it well, so you can learn as much as you can from them. So thanks so much for teaching and speaking and for and for making me laugh and calling me out on my own uh, blue jay blue jay bias and crap. I really do appreciate that as well. Well, you know I love you, man, and it was an honor being on the podcast and great talking with you as always. You too, man. Have a good one, eh? Peace. Later. Uh, that was my uh, conversation with uh, Brady uh, Shearer of Pro Church Tools. I think I hung up too quickly. I think I, there should have been like a wave or something, but I pressed the hung up too quickly, so I'll have to live with that. Um, great conversation, and hopefully uh, you uh, you gained a lot of, of insight, a lot of great stuff uh, uh, shared from, from his mind and his heart, and to churches who are thinking about how media is used on a regular basis, uh, that it comes back to, and, and Simon Sinek, he has that book, Start With Why. Always start with the why. Why are we doing what we're doing? Even when it comes to how we do things at Masters, when it comes to social media and lighting and stage and everything else, always coming back to the why. Why do we do this? Do, are we doing something simply to say that we're being creative, or are we doing it to because it fits in with who we are as a school, as an institution, as a church in general. And so I'm grateful that Brady was able to, to squeeze in a little bit of time because he legitimately is uh, a busy man, uh, husband, father, uh, entrepreneur, uh, and, and, and minister in, in, his own, in his own way and what he is doing with Portrait's Tools, uh, doing some amazing things. I'm really uh, excited for uh, the next, ev- next stage in evolution for what they get to do because they're already doing some really cool things. So the next uh, couple of years as, as media grows is going to be uh, even more exciting. This is the second to last episode of the MCS Mastercast for the year 2016. Uh, we are going to be taking a little bit. This is kind of like the 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 pre pre-ultimate, pre-ultimate, the the show before the last show <laughs> uh, of our fall finale. You know, on TV shows at the fall finale sort of thing. This is like the end of the fall season, and we're going to take a little bit uh, of a hiatus in January uh, to do a couple of things. One, to allow me to have my Christmas break with my family, and two, uh, get some uh, pre-recorded conversations done so that we're able to then uh, have some more stuff ready for you come mid-January into the the spring uh, leading up to our Prodigy Days event at Master's College and Seminary, which is going to be fantastic. I'm really excited for it. We just finalized our speaker list. Uh, our speakers are going to be fantastic. Uh, our, our main stage speakers uh, Jeremy Albrecht, Kathleen Van Engen, and Daniel Clark. They're going to just, they're just going to rock the house. And then we have our seminar speakers lined up. Really excited to let you know that somebody who has been on the podcast before, my friend Patty Miller, is going to be one of our seminar speakers to our pastors. I'm really excited about that. And then some more surprises are going to be coming up as we're getting ready for the event. So make sure to check out our event uh, and on uh, mcsproji.com. Uh, and I love to kind of go back to something that Brady has said to me earlier, just engaging on Twitter is inviting people to be a part of the story. Um, he, you never want to make something like you don't want to miss this, but you make it talk about it in a way where someone just naturally wants to go. And so just come, it's going to be, it's going to be a really good time. I don't know if I did it to, to, to the way that he was like, no, like this instead, but you know, it'll work anyhow. Um, 
along with that, along with our, a little bit uh, of, of our hiatus, well, something that we are going to be doing is we are going to be re-releasing on Twitter and on Facebook some of the episodes that we've had throughout the year. We are at episode 27 or 28 of this podcast, which is crazy, uh, the commitment uh, that I've been able to have to this show. And a lot of it is connected to you, the listener, uh, who have just come up to me, whether at school or around the way, and said, like, you know, I actually listen to this podcast when I'm driving, or I listen to this podcast when I'm working, or I listen to this podcast when I was when I'm getting ready for for ministry, and that's really cool. And so, we're going to be re-releasing some of these episodes that you've heard before. And what I might do with them is I might just record an intro to them to kind of set up what we were talking about and give you some previews as to things that are happening in the future. And so, make sure to be paying attention to those things. Those are going to be a lot of fun. Um, they'll be on Twitter and Facebook and on our SoundCloud as well. And lastly. Maybe you are listening to this podcast and you're you're hearing the sound of them. You're hearing the the sound change in and out, things like that, or, um, you know the 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 quality of when they come out. One of the things that we are looking for for the MCS Mastercast is we're looking for a producer, somebody who is willing to do um, a show intro with music and then helping us with the editing. Because right now, all of the episodes that we've had have been put together and edited and chopped and all those sort of stuff and then put online and promoted by myself. And so the way that this can even grow is if we have a show producer who's willing to do that for us, with us, so we're able to do more interviews, do more shows, get out there, get on the road, meet more people, meet more pastors, uh, fill that bucket list of, of, of leaders and get more information on leadership and and local church life to you, the listener. So perhaps you are somebody who like, I would love to help out with that show. Check us out by emailing us at creative at mcs.edu. That is creative at mcs.edu. And if you have questions about the show or um, comments about it or encouragements about that show, you can email us at creative at mcs.edu because I would love to see that uh, see that mail and be able to go like, oh yeah, what we're doing is actually making a difference. What we're doing is actually feeding into the lives of young leaders, older leaders, middle way leaders, leaders on the come up, all that sort of stuff. So we want to be able to do that for you. Well, this is the end of this episode. I have nothing more to, to translate over to you guys. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes for our, our Mastercast. Make sure to leave a nice, kind review. The more reviews you, you send, the more we're able to keep this show on the air. I feel like I am um, doing a telethon for PBS, but it is actually true. For those who are listening, my name is Chris Chase, a.k.a. That Chris Chase on Twitter, a.k.a. Chris Chaser on Instagram. I am in my kitchen. It is now a little bit warmer than it was when I first started because the heat from the afternoon is starting to kick in, and it has been the MCS Mastercast.